Stewardship is, I believe, a very misunderstood part of church life, of Christian life, of being fully dedicated to God. I believe that stewardship is way too often focused on just money. It's focused way too often on just how we um, decide that we want to take the blessings financially that God's put in our life to manage and oversee and what that looks like when you pour it back into the kingdom of God or what that should look like. Stewardship, that is only one small element. That, is, that fits under the umbrella of what stewardship really is. And I set the table for you last week to talk to you more about what it is. Uh, if you were here, you remember that we established that groundwork of understanding stewardship. We began with the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1, verse number 1. Chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He establishes right out of the gates that he is absolute owner and has absolute rights over everything. It all belongs to God. What we do with it when it becomes distorted, contaminated, or whatever you might want to call it, misused and abused, whatever it is on this earth that isn't pleasing to God, comes from a lack of ability of humanity, humans, us, men and women, to cultivate and, and, and um, um, be good stewards and managers of what it is that God's blessed us with. He owns it all. We are simply managers. The biblical doctrine, doctrine's a big word, just means the study of, the biblical study of something. The biblical doctrine of stewardship defines the most basic, fundamental of our relationship, humanity or man and woman's relationship with God. Stewardship. He is owner. We are managers. This is because humanity is not equal to God. God has attributes that we simply do not have. He sees what we can't see. He goes where we cannot go. He knows what we don't know. He goes before us, behind us, surrounds us. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's a healing God. He's a powerful God. He conquered a, a death. He is the creator. He can do what we cannot do. I can't create. We can only emulate. And we were given the perfect example of what to emulate and how to emulate when God sent Himself in the flesh, named Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ with us, since we couldn't figure out, say, why would He do, why would God, the creator of all things, the owner of all things, why would He send Himself in the flesh as an example? That's because we couldn't get it right. Humanity failed. We tried to reach God by, by building towers to the heavens, the Tower of Babel. We tried to reach God in ways and, and do things that were displeasing to God or not pleasing to God. We would sin against Him. We would bring sacrifices to the altar. And we were not enough. We, we did not measure up. We could not measure up. So He said, I will send Myself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and show them an example, but to ultimately be a sacrifice for their sin, that he would die a sacrificial lamb, drink from the cup 
of bitter sin for all mankind. That's a bitter, bitter cup. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard cup to swallow. All of your sin and shortcomings, everyone for all of time, every person, man, woman, boy, or girl, he drank from the cup of sin and the bitterness. What a bitter, bitter, bitter thing to swallow. If he just had to drink from the cup for me, that's bad enough. Because I slip, trip, and fall a lot. I've had some folks in my life this week I've had to apologize to. Said I said a lot of things that didn't come out right. I should have prayed first. I should have consulted God first. I should have been more gentle. I should have been this. I should have been that. I acted out in humanity. I acted out in the flesh. Jesus came for that reason. To die for our sins. He is the only one that can do that. And then three days later, when the enemy thought that he had won, when the enemy thought that he had overcome mankind, the grave broke open and Jesus resurrected from the grave. Spent 40 days and then finally stepped off into a cloud and said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do not let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have never brought this up. I would have never told it to you. But I must go. It's expedient that I go so that I can leave with you a comforter. That comforter's with you today. No matter what you're going through. That's an attribute of God that we simply cannot have. He is the creator. He's unlike us. He's above us. We're beneath him. He is owner. We are manager. He left that spirit here to dwell among men, within men. We are to be the light of the world. Hallelujah. We are to be an example for those who do not know Christ and even those sometimes who know Christ. Even the children of God, the saints of God, the army of God, those that have given their heart to God, sometimes they need picked up. Sometimes they need lifted up. And I've seen way too often in churches, and I pray to God that this ministry will be what it is that God's called it to be, to where church folks don't want to cut up and and tear down other church folks. Say, I left that church because so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that rather than lifting up and building up and praying for. If they did something that you don't appreciate or that you don't like, you should put them at the top of your prayer list. Hallelujah. I remember, I'm going to step away from the notes for a second. About 15 years ago, I challenged a ministry that I was working with to do 30 minutes of prayer one day a week. It had been about 15, maybe 20 20 years ago, and then I got to thinking to myself, I know I've meditated on God, I've praised God, I've gone to church for two, three, four hour services, but to actually kneel down and just actually pray and speak to God for 30 minutes, it challenged me a little bit. I've read my Bible for 30 minutes, I've studied for 30 minutes, but I wasn't sure that I ever, and I didn't realize it until I made this challenge to the folks that I'm going to eliminate everything. Talking to God. I'm not going to bring in my list of what I need. And what I learned was after about 5, 10, 15 minutes, 
Them folks that you mad at, you ain't got nobody else left to pray for. But them folks right there, you better get them on your list. And ask God to change them. Ask God to change them. Why? Because God is above, we are beneath, He's the Creator, we're the created. He's got attributes that we do not have. And this is the established relationship that we need to operate within in order for us to understand, I get it now. I'm only a steward. I'm only a manager. I am in charge of nothing. God is in charge of the next breath I take. I'm not even in charge of life itself. He brought me into this world and there's an appointed time for every man that they will leave this world. I'm not in charge of that. God the Father is. A pandemic is not in charge of that. The enemy's not in charge of that. No one is in charge of that except for God the Father. He knows the day and the time. It's a lot like us. It's only one like Him. You have to realize that your perspective on stewardship and your commitment to being a good steward determines the outcomes of your life on this earth. I'll say it again. Your perspective on stewardship, how you think about it as a manager of the things that God has given you in this life, as an overseer of these things, your commitment to that, your relentless pursuit of impeccable stewardship and management of the blessings of God in your life, your perspective on that determines the outcomes of your life here on this earth. People get stewardship twisted and they begin to have a way of thinking that says, if I do this, then God will do this. God is not transactional. God already did this. God already gave you this. He gave you life. It's up to us as stewards and managers of this life on earth. If we want to live a life that is above and not beneath. An abundant blessing. He already gave you life. How are you managing what it is that He gave you? You know, last week that I said, boy, we got a lot of great ownership. God is a great owner. He never fails me. He's always there when I need Him. He's never let me down. He's always met my need when I have one. The will for my life. He's always provided a way. He's a great owner. We have a lot of poor managers walking around that don't understand how to live under the direction of the owner. You can't do what you want to do. God is not transactional. He can't be bought. He can't be conned. He can't be fooled. But He can be pleased. God can be pleased. It is my desire to please God. He knows everything. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. You might be depressed, messed up, toe up, from the flow up, but you can't run from Him. 
You can't hide from Him. You cannot escape His love. He's everywhere. We can please God by being good stewards, good managers. Anybody want to please God? When you say you want to please God, you are committing to becoming a better steward today than you were yesterday. You're committing to becoming a better steward tomorrow than you were, than you are today. Living above and beneath actually really just goes back to stewardship. Living in freedom really goes back to stewardship. Salvation in God is just the beginning. It's just the doorway. It's just the threshold. It's just the beginning of understanding how to live life with freedom on this earth. Freedom in Jesus is impossible without salvation, but it doesn't end at salvation. We are called to be stewards. And that is how you begin to live in the blessings of God. I'm teaching you a little bit of something today. Just stick with me. The blessed life, the life of freedom. Once we give our hearts to God, stewardship should follow. Don't be confused and think that stewardship gets you to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. I believe there are going to be some very poor stewards that actually make it to heaven. Very poor managers. Varying levels of good, bad, and in-between stewards that just can't seem to get it right. But I'm thankful for God's grace. No matter how good or bad that I might be on this earth, the love of God supersedes my shortcomings. And I desire then to please God because of that love. What can I do with what you've given me? I don't need much. God doesn't need much. A little bit becomes a lot with God. All you've got to do is learn how to be a steward with a little bit. And he'll take a little bit and he'll make it a lot. Faith of a mustard seed. He'll take a little bit and make it a lot. A little bit of love goes a long way. Once we give our hearts to God, we must desire to be managers, stewards of His blessing. There are some people that will not experience all the blessings that they could while on this earth. In fact, I would say that we're always really in pursuit of greater blessings no matter where you're at on the stewardship continuum. There's always more. He's a God of enough, more than, greater than, always has been, always will be. He's too big for you to get all the blessings he's got. It's never-ending fountain of blessing, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He got so much you can't even contain it. How can I get some of that? Is it transactional? No. How do I step into the threshold of where all of that is? Is it looking at someone else's life? Hecky no. 
remember I said that coach in here about 15, 20 years ago, somebody did something, I'll say, stupid on the field. I'm like, oh, heck, you know, did they really just try to do that? And they're like, did you just say heck, you know? That's what we say. Heck, you know, just means, dag, I can't even believe that just happened. I can't, heck, you know, I can't look at your life and emulate you. I'm trying to get what God's got for me. Don't watch me. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to let you down. I'll be the best I can be. But at the end of the day, I've got an owner. Same one that you got. Separate from grace. Stewardship is separate from all of that. Grace will save you. It's a gift. The gift of grace overlooks your shortcomings, and it's a free gift that if you accept Christ as your Savior, you shall be saved. That's different from stewardship. I always like to tell these hyper-grace folks, oh, grace got me covered, grace got me covered. Man, I question question your salvation because if grace is as good as you said it is, if the same God that I worship, you saying you worship, then you ought to be a better steward of all the stuff that God's given you because you done squandered a lot of stuff. Go back and check your relationship with God. I think back in my life. Life doesn't have do-overs, do-overs, but I think, man, if I knew then what I know now about God, I would have managed things a whole lot better. Pastor Scott, you saying you would have did things different? Absolutely, yes, I would have. I would have done some things different. I would have been a better steward. I'm not sure that we preach well enough that grace and salvation are separate from the responsibility of stewardship. Grace is free. Stewardship is a responsibility. The child of God, we all have that moment when we give our heart to God, we give our life to God, you are a baby, an infant in Christ. You on the bottle. You're not ready for steak yet. You're on a sippy cup. You're on a spiritual sippy cup. Just a little bit at a time until you can grow strong. When you become saved, you have to begin to learn Responsibility, just like a normal child has to learn responsibility. Learning every day. There's a story, a parable, that Jesus taught, preached, in the book of Matthew 25, 14, and 15. The Bible is so deep, profound, robust, dynamic, D, I don't even know the correct word. I don't think I could describe it with one word. But every time I dig deeper and I study more, I learn more just about who he is and how much he is and how less than I am and how little I am. This verse of Scripture and these next several verses are so deep, it's teaching like 25 lessons of life at one time. It's making correlations between 
the coming of Christ and the, and, 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 and the stewardship of one's life with a parable that Christ is teaching, it's got some wild stuff in it. As I teach it today, I'm going to correlate it directly to stewardship as we live on this earth. For all y'all Bible scholars and you Bible studiers, go back and read some commentary on Matthew 25 starting in verse 14, moving on down to probably about verse number 35 or 40. It's good. It's good. Of course, it's the red letters. So anytime you've got the red letters, when Jesus opened his mouth, it's usually a savage moment. It's a beast moment. Great lessons about stewardship here, beginning in verse number 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. There's some, there's some, uh, when Christ ascended to heaven and when he comes back, there's some correlation there. That's not where I'm going with this though, but you could study about that too. He went on his journey. He left. I go to prepare a place for you. I will leave with you these blessings so that you can steward them. I will come again. So Jesus is teaching about all of that. They couldn't quite understand it yet because they hadn't heard and seen what was going to occur. In this verse of Scripture, he's talking about entrusting things to man. Go back to verse 14 if you would. It would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants... Hmm, sounds like me and you. And entrusted his wealth, made them managers of, made them overseers of his wealth unto them. And he did this according to, verse 15, their ability or their talents. He entrusted his wealth, his treasure, according to their ability, their talents. And he did it for a specific amount of time. He went on a journey. He gave them time to do their work. He gave them treasure to oversee. And he did it according to their abilities, their talents. So they were responsible for time, Talent and treasure, all three things. The same way that you and I are today. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our talents? And what are we doing with the treasure or blessings? In this instance, it was gold, but there's a lot of other blessings in our life that we should be doing and overseeing in God's sight and eyes and His way, not our way. Time, talent, and treasure all three illuminated in this particular verse. It always goes back. I did not anticipate preaching on time, talent, and treasure until I started to develop this sermon because I thought, God, I done beat them up with time, talent, and treasure too much. 
And then all of a sudden, stewardship always goes back to that. What do you do with the abilities and talents that God has give you, given you? Do you squander them? Do you use them for the ways of the world? Or do you use them to build them in the kingdom of God? What do you do? Remember, it's appointed for every man to die. God knows the time. He knows the hour. What do you do with the time you have on this earth? Do you squander it? And no better way that I can think to describe it, do you do dumb stuff? I've been guilty of that. What do you do with the things? Do you get so eager that it becomes about the accumulation of things and then you become a slave to the things? I've been wondering lately, I wonder what it would be like to share a car with my wife. I wonder what it would be like if I didn't have to mess with all of that. Because I'm starting to realize more is not always better, man. I don't want to be a slave to the stuff. Just scale it down to me and God. I'm not saying that I'm going to share a car with my wife, but I've been thinking about it. Y'all going to see me pulling in like, it's good to get a car. Now Pastor Scott got one. If he's a good steward, I'm going to be one too. Where'd you get it, Pastor Scott? Because them trucks, man, they got some long financing on them. Talk about being a slave to a lender. Sign this until you die. (laughs) Salvation determines what life will be be like when Jesus comes. I'm still correlating the two. When we spend eternity in heaven, salvation determines what life will be like when Jesus comes back and we spend eternity in heaven or for some hell who don't give their heart to Christ. Salvation and stewardship are different. Stewardship determines what life will be like for you on this earth. Salvation different. Grace different. But I want what's what's coming to me. If it's a blessing in there to be had, I'm going to try to get it. If there's a blessing in there with my name on it, I'm going to pursue it. But it's up to me how I manage that in my life. God will not ignore, this hit me different when I was studying, God will not ignore the fact that you ignore stewardship or ignore managing your life according to the owner's specifications. That was a mouthful. So listen to this. I'm going to read that note word for word. God will not ignore the fact that you ignore stewardship or ignore managing your life according to the owner's specifications. There's retribution. There's consequences. The owner's specifications are spelled out very clearly in the Holy Bible. He will illuminate the specifications to you more clearly through a prayer life if you just say now I lay me down to sleep pray the Lord my soul to keep and that's all you pray every day that's good and whatever your prayer life is not very deep if all you do when you pray is say God I need this God I want this God I, your prayer life is not very deep I used to wonder how it was that one could pray without ceasing I thought dang 
that's just for Sister Jones or, 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 or brother, brother Bobby or one of these super saints, them, them hucking and a bucking saints that be popping out the bobby pins and stuff and doing them laps around the church. They're the only ones that can pray without ceasing. I don't think that I could do this. But then I learned how to walk in the Spirit. In everything that I do now, 24 hours a day, I seek to do under the direction of the spirit that lives inside of me. When I get away from that, I get ugly. When I get away from that, see, I've been separating myself from the old Scott Fussnecker for a lot of years. Trying to become who I'm supposed to be until Jesus comes when I don't have to worry anymore. And I can take on a glorified body. Mountaintops, valleys, valleys and valleys. and But then we got mountaintops. And the God of the mountaintop is the same God. We're called to be stewards when life is good and you're up on the mountain. As an old song goes that I used to sing, but then things change when you're in the valley so low. He's still a God of the valley. Doesn't matter what you're going through. We are called to be managers at all times of everything that He has put. Sometimes in the valley, you can't count what you have. You just have to count what you have left. Sometimes... You just got to praise God for your ability to endure rather than conquer. There's moments in my life where I'm saying, God, I just want to count what I have left, and I just want to endure what the enemy is trying to do to me, and I'm going to look for you in this circumstance. I'm going to look for you in this moment, and I'm going to look for you to see what it is that you can teach me in this moment on how to be a better steward so that I don't put myself here again. Just enduring rather than conquering. What you learn when you endure gives you a better ability to, uh, to conquer when it's time. Not all valleys are necessarily brought on by you. They can be allowed sometimes in order that you might learn how to overcome the responsibility. I hope that you are learning that it is up to you, not your spouse. You can't change them. You can't change them. Not your siblings. You can't change them. They can't make me a good steward, and I can't make them a good steward. I can't make you a good steward. I can teach you about good stewardship. But only God. You have to lean on God. I can give you advice. I can counsel you. I can pray for you. I can love you. I can encourage you. I can try to live an example for you. I can try to be a role model for you. But only God can change the heart of a man. 
He can turn a stony heart into a soft heart. Only God. It is your responsibility. There are times when you are tempted to satisfy the flesh and the temporary in order to experience the long-term blessings, though, of stewardship. You must avoid the temptations of temporarily satisfying the flesh. In other words, let me bring it down to introductory, rudimentary, plain and simple language. I would love to have a riding lawnmower. My son will not cut the grass that much. Dad, we need that riding mower, dog. We need to pull that switch on that boy. Look, you don't even have to prime this one. Like when I was a kid, it's got the automatic start when you pull the string. And I don't change lawnmower oil either. I break all records on oil not being changed on a lawnmower. They'd be lasting for a decade. Like, did you ever change it? Nope. Spark plug? Nope. Hey, put me on the commercial. Craftsman is the best or whatever it is. But I'm saying all that to say I'd rather have a rider. I could go get one today. I'm just bringing this down to baby level for you, right? Now, if someone told me, man, if you'll push for three years, I'll get you a riding lawnmower for the rest of your life, and you'll never have to buy one again, and you could just... Have a new one every year. I would say I'll push for three then. Because we can't see what's on the other side. We decide to go get what we want now and satisfy the flesh, not thinking about whether or not it should or should not be in our life and what we're managing. Temporarily satisfying the flesh is the biggest culprit the biggest adversary, the good old flesh, man. The good old flesh. Temporarily satisfying the flesh will cause you to not be able to live out the blessings for you that you couldn't see. 